Hey, welcome home to Cassidy. My name is Stephen Mitchell, and I am so glad to be able to be here with you, to be able to come together, uh, whether we're in person or online, to be able to be together, to worship and celebrate what God is doing and what God continues to do in and through us. We're not waiting for a movement of God. We are experiencing God's movement right here and right now, that we are moving and breathing on behalf of Jesus Christ, and it is a great uh, great hope that we have uh, that we are all together able to grow in our relationship with God, to become deeper disciples so that we can live for Jesus Christ. Uh, we've been talking about this sermon series called Jesus Said What? Uh, looking at some of the hard sayings of Jesus. So if you are new here, a special welcome to you first, and we're excited that you are with us. Our, our hope is that you will continue to join us because we're a group of people who realize we aren't perfect, but we know the one who is, and that's Jesus Christ. And we want to be more like Jesus, so we have built a community where we can grow in our relationship with one another and our relationship with God so that we can be more like Jesus, so that we can be the disciples that Jesus is calling us to. And this is the last week that we are on this sermon series called, uh, called Jesus Said What? And you have to say it that way. And I kind of close my eye and, and around the church, people have been joking me because they can tell how excited I am when I get to say that. Um, but uh, the truth is that, that uh, some of the difficult things that Jesus said can make us pause, can make us question whether or not it's possible or we don't understand it the way that we want to or, or that we don't get the idea or the intent behind what Jesus is saying. And so we're going to continue that today. I, I wanted to start by uh, saying, have you noticed how difficult it is, uh, or not how difficult necessarily, but how much effort and practice it takes to do almost anything well? To do anything good, it takes a lot of effort and practice. When I was in my 30s, I, I had some free time, and so I decided in my free time that I was going to take up the guitar. I, I was in a praise band at church, and I wanted to, I wanted to be able to, to contribute more. I wanted to be able to play the guitar uh, and, and so I could practice, but I also thought that playing the guitar looked amazing. I got an acoustic guitar to learn how to play. And, and, and the idea was that I was going to be able to, to rock out with the, with, the, with the band and be able to play with them. And uh, what I noticed at first, if you've never played the guitar, one of the things that you notice is, man, it, it takes a lot of practice to be able to, to make your hand go in the right shape, to make your fingers do the things that they're supposed to do so that you can, can play the notes that you're supposed to. And, and it hurts your fingers and it causes quite a bit of pain. Uh, so uh, after the pain was, was gone and I started to get good with just my fingertips, then you learn these things called bar chords, which you're blocking off the whole neck of the guitar. And it just takes more muscle and more effort with your hands. And it's just a little bit more difficult. Uh, I decided at that point, hey, the electric guitar, you don't have to press down on the strings anywhere near as hard as you do for the acoustic. And quite frankly, who doesn't think that the piddly, piddly, piddly that you hear on the electric guitar is just amazing when people that know how to play it play it. And quite frankly, this is an amazing looking guitar. I mean, it, it's flame maple red. Uh, who wouldn't want to be up on, uh, up on the stage wailing uh, good riffs 
<laughs> These are guitar terms that I'm not good at. You can tell. Uh, good riffs with, with the electric guitar. And, and what I found is that after I got the acoustic and the electric, I decided, you know, I was going to take a little bit of time uh, away. I was going to take a day off because my fingers hurt, my hands hurt. I was tired of it. And that day took, turned into a week, and that week turned into a month. And, and then I, I just had a couple of guitars that were sitting around the house. And, and I decided, you know what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to use the two-thirds rule, right? Uh, the bass guitar has two-thirds the number of strings as the acoustic and the electric guitar. And so I said, hey, if I had a bass guitar, that would be way easy. It's got to be two-thirds easier to play. There's two missing strings on it. And so I picked this guy up. Uh, and quite frankly, again, it's an amazing looking guitar. Uh, and, and this is a bass guitar. It's only got four strings. And, and I, I was like, oh, this is going to be it. This is it. I'm going to start playing this one and it's going to be amazing. And what I found is that was not the case on this either. I, I loved it because it's seafoam green with metal flakes in it and it looks awesome. But the problem is I didn't practice with this either. And so I went from trying to play the guitar and become better at playing the musical instrument to, quite frankly, just collecting the guitar. And collecting guitars is not really what I was after, but now I have six guitars. I've given one away, so five uh, that, that, that I have. And I'm just like, man, I, I have all these guitars and I play none of them very well because I didn't put the effort in the practice into this. And no practice and no effort just equals collecting guitars. So I, I think I still look at guitars on used guitar places. Why? Because I love the idea of being a guitar player. I'm just not very good at it, and I don't put enough effort into it to really be good at it. And we understand this. I mean, this is, and maybe you're, for you, it wasn't guitars, but my guess is that you have experienced something very similar to this in your own life, that you recognize that being able to, uh, to, to do something well takes time and energy, practice and effort, and, and, and there's a cost to being able to do something. To, to being successful at something. And that's one of the reasons why uh, this, this next statement that we're going to look at from Jesus can be so hard because Jesus is saying, hey, while I, I want you to receive the gift that I offer you, there's, there's a cost to it. He, he says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Jesus said, What? Uh, deny myself, take up my cross. What does that even mean? And my guess is that the disciples, like us, were, were very confused by this statement. And we're going to dive into it. This, again, comes from Matthew's gospel. And Matthew was a tax collector that Jesus called out of the tax booth, and, and he walked away to follow Jesus. And so uh, this is a first-person perspective, and Matthew's painting the picture because Matthew was part of the disciples uh, from Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and, and wrote this gospel that just tells that story so that we can better understand uh, the, the hope that we receive in Jesus. Uh, but what we don't always get is when we look at this 
section of Scripture, when we look at this statement in particular, is that it follows a scene, one of my favorite scenes in all of uh, the, the New Testament and all of the Gospels in, in particular. It's, it's where Jesus is explaining to the disciples, hey, I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be handed over and, and they're going to kill me. And I'm going to be raised on the third day. Now, my guess is the disciples didn't understand this very well because they weren't expecting resurrection when Jesus was resurrected, uh, but, and, and, and they were struggling with, with what Jesus was saying. And so Peter decides in his infinite wisdom, this is why I like Peter, mostly because he does dumb things. He doesn't think through the things that he should do before he does them, which is great because I, I really identify with Peter in that way. And so Peter goes and takes Jesus aside and rebukes Jesus. Jesus, you shouldn't talk about that. Those things can't happen to you. And Jesus in turn rebukes Peter and says one of the most famous lines from the New Testament, get behind me, Satan. Uh, He's talking to his number one guy and Jesus says, get behind me, not because he thought that Jesus, uh, that, that Peter was evil, but because Peter was tempting him not to do what Jesus knew had to be done. And so Jesus in turn rebukes Peter because of Peter's rebuke of Jesus. It's a vicious cycle. Uh, and Peter re- is, is now humbled, but Jesus can't leave it there. Jesus has done this in front of all the boys, so all of the disciples are there, and Jesus rebukes Peter in front of everybody, which makes, uh, you know, it it takes uh, Peter's honor and shames him. And so now he's there, and just to make sure everyone gets it, Jesus explains what's going on. He says this in Matthew 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can, can anyone give in exchange for their soul. For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. Again, Jesus said what? Uh, Jesus is, is taking this picture so that they can understand what he's talking about so that he can move them. And, and uh, you know, uh, if you were here last week, uh, maybe you noticed the hyperbole that's going on in some of that. Uh, but Jesus wants us to understand that this is so important, that this is something that we have to pay attention to. And he covers it up in spoilers. So I don't know if you know what spoilers are. Spoilers are when you have somebody spoil the ending to a movie because they give you too much information uh, or, or spoil the ending of a book because they reveal uh, what happens at the end. Those are spoilers. And Jesus kind of gives us a little bit of that because Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to, he's prophesying to them saying, hey, I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be killed. But he doesn't say, I'm going to be crucified. And yet, when he talks to his disciples, he says, uh, you have to take up your cross and follow me. Now, the disciples weren't thinking, oh man, he means I need to put on a cool cross necklace. 
right? That's not what he was thinking. Or I need to get a cross tattoo so that everybody knows I'm Christian. That's not what Jesus was saying at all. Uh, and, And while I'm not saying you shouldn't have those things, I'm saying that's not Jesus' intent. Jesus is saying, hey, you need to die to yourself in order to follow me. Here's, here's why I know that's what he's saying. When he says, take up your cross, the cross wasn't a cool symbol of hope that it is for the Christian church. It was a symbol of, of murder and execution. It was the cruelest way ever devised to kill somebody so that they would be tortured before they were able to die, so that they would drown on their own. And Jesus is saying, hey, Take up your electric chair and follow me, or your guillotine, or your noose, or your lethal injection. Take up whatever implement of death you can think of and follow me. And and his point is, Jesus is calling us, and Jesus called his disciples to come and die. Not necessarily a physical death, but it could be a death to self and the brokenness of this world. It could be a death to selfish desires. Sometimes it is to be prepared to die for our faith. The the disciples learned that and and took seriously what Jesus said. Actually, uh, out of the 12 disciples that were after Jesus' resurrection, uh, because there were 12, and then we had one of them that, that betrayed Jesus, Judas, and then he killed himself, so there were two eleven. They added one person, and of those 12 that they had, 11 of those died by execution. Some of them were crucified, some of them were beheaded. Um, they, they were almost all of them were killed. And so Jesus is saying, hey, this is serious. I want you to understand. I want you to get this. And so when he says, take up your cross and follow him, he's not saying put on a a cool cross necklace, like I said. He's saying, I want you to live for me and die to self. And and self-denial looks foolish to the world. The world doesn't understand self-denial. The world is all about embrace everything. You deserve everything, so go after it. You should have the finest foods and and the most expensive things and and, and pursue those things. And and forget about the self-denial stuff. Why would anybody want to deny themselves? And the truth is that denying yourself makes the radical love of Jesus possible in our lives And it allows us to love others the way that Jesus has demonstrated that the Father loves us and that Jesus loves us. And and by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that we can experience that love and that hope when we deny ourselves. And again, it's not saying I'm going to not, you know, have chocolate during Lent. That's not self-denial. The the denial that Jesus is calling us to is even deeper than that. It's, It's denying the brokenness of this world. It's denying the sin and the, the um, desires of our heart to pursue those broken things. Instead, Jesus says, you need to live for me. And, and what could be more important than our lives? When we, when we think about this, when we hear what Jesus is calling us to, 
Jesus is asking us to make the ultimate sacrifice just as he did, not so that we die physically, although there were those martyrs in the church that have done that, but so that we can live for him right here and right now. And Luke, even in Luke's gospel, Luke takes it up a notch. He says, you have to take up your cross daily. Every single day you take up your cross and follow me so that every moment of every day you are dying to self and living for Jesus. And and this, this painted a radical shift in who the Messiah was and what the Messiah was calling the disciples to for them. I mean, the, the disciples in their mind, they had a picture of a geopolitical king that was going to come in and his accomplishment was to kick Rome out and elevate Israel to where it had been in the past. And Jesus is saying, the, the worldly view that you hold is not what I'm after. The kingdom of God is so much greater than the kingdom of Israel. The kingdom of God encompasses all peoples of all nations that can come under the banner of the king of kings and live a life for Jesus and sacrifice their own selfish desires for the hope that Jesus offers. These hard sayings of Jesus, the truth is that all of these hard sayings of Jesus are hard because they are all asking us to do the same thing. Die to self and live for Jesus. Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about difficult sayings, and they all are difficult because they are asking us to move from where we are, to embrace what Jesus offers, and to live for Jesus and to die for self. The cost of discipleship is to take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. Everything has a cost, and we can't picture uh, the, this this image of grace that we have, we can't allow it to become cheapened. Uh, Cheap grace is a concept of just receiving the gift of grace and and not allowing God to change us, Uh, just adding a little bit of Jesus so we feel better about our own lives, not letting Jesus transform us from the inside out. There was a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a theologian in World War II, uh, a German citizen who who stood against Nazi Germany, stood against Hitler. He was in a plot to assassinate Hitler. Not a lot of theologians that you know of that have been in plots to assassinate people. Uh, He was imprisoned for his beliefs, uh, and he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. That discipleship is not free, and he warns us about cheap grace. Cheap grace to Dietrich Bonhoeffer is this. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Cheap grace is a grace where we do not take up our cross and follow Jesus. But he continues, and he says, costly grace is this. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake, for the sake of it, a man will go and sell all he has so that he can get it. It is the pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ 
for whose sake a man will pluck out his eye, which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciples leave their nets and follow him. Costly grace is a grace that changes us from the inside out, a grace that transforms us so that we can be more like Jesus, a grace that calls us to die to self and live for Jesus. Maybe you're sitting out there and this this message hits hard. I don't know about you. This one gives me goosebumps because this is the hope we have in Jesus, the understanding that we don't want to just participate in church. Maybe, maybe for your whole life, you've just been participating in church, just been showing up, just been doing the things. Maybe you're brand new to church and you've never experienced any of this. And yet all of this is something that is compelling you to take a next step because Jesus doesn't want you just to participate in church. He wants you to become a disciple. And a disciple is one who dies to self and lives for Jesus. Christ wants you to take your next step in that relationship, to move closer to him, to allow him to change you from the inside out, to embrace the transformation that comes from Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that Jesus offers to us, die to self, live for me, and I will make everything different for you. Take this step before, before you and, and, and move closer to me, because every step we take in the direction of Jesus is a step further away from the direction of sin and death. And so Jesus calls us into this life of, of hope and renewal, into this life of discipleship, so that we can be more like him, so that we can turn away from the brokenness of this world and embrace all of these things that we have been talking about for the past few weeks where we have talked about these difficult sayings of Jesus. Everything that is difficult about what Jesus says is because he's asking us to give ourselves over to him, to die to self, and to live for Christ, so that we can, like Paul before us, we can say this and totally mean it. Living for Christ is not I that live, but Christ in me. That Christ in me, dwelling in me, is the one that lives. And I live only because of Christ in me. And it is my desires that have died and the desires of Christ in me that are alive and well. It is my life that I have laid down on the altar of sacrifice so that I can pick up the mantle of Christ and go into the world and proclaim the hope and grace that Jesus offers to us. This is the hope that we have in Jesus, and this is the hope that we are called to, the life that we can embrace and live full of glory and full of hope and compassion in the world around us. And so the real question is, are you serious about discipleship? Are you serious about wanting to not be just a participant but instead someone who wants to step into the hope that Jesus offers? Or, or do you just want cheap grace? Do you just want to, to have a little bit of Jesus that makes you feel better when you're feeling down? Or are you willing to take that, that position of, I am all in, Jesus. I, I am here with you. Let's go together. Change me from the inside out so that I can be more like you. 
I hope that you are not just out there collecting guitars, but that you embrace the, the, the practice and the hope and, and the persistence that comes with following Jesus right here, right now, into the eternity of life that he offers to us. Let's pray. Holy and gracious God, we give you thanks for Jesus Christ for the hope that you offer to us, for the life that you have poured out for us, for your sacrifice on our behalf. Lord, you call us to die to self and live to you. Help us to understand what that is. Help us to embrace that. Help us to take seriously this call on our life to be more than just participants in church, but to be disciples of Christ so that we can help in any way that we can, to grow your kingdom, to share your gospel, to love people where they are, and to move them closer to you by our love, your love in us. Transform us from the inside out. Make us more and more like Jesus. We pray this right here in this space, and we know that you are here with us, and so together we all agree and say, amen.